Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Malka Fleischer joins me. Shalom and welcome. Hello. Welcome back. Yes, I was on a trip, Malka. I was all over the United States. Not all over, but I was in a lot of places. I started in New York City. I was at the uh, Besheva Jerusalem Conference. I was at the parade. The Israel Day Parade. The Israel Day Parade, which gave me a lot of strength. And for some reason, a lot of people saw some of my videos where I was yelling back the Israeli left that came to protest the protesters. Oh, yeah. What'd you say? I just, to them, I was just like yelling at them. I was like, we are home. We're coming back home. We're never leaving. And and, and like, like we're going to be positive. You're not going to bring us down, that type of thing. And then... And then to the, um, you know, to the other side, which was the Satmar, yeah. so we had the left and then we had the extreme right. The you Satmar, mean the Torei Karta? The Torei Karta, that's right. Oh, that's a good fix. That's yeah, a mistake it's not Satmar. No, but it's an offshoot of Satmar, the Torei Karta, ultra-Orthodox, anti-Israel folks. I just was yelling back at them and inviting them to come to, to connect to the forefathers and mothers, come back to the nation, that type of stuff. And then I went to the Besheva conference, uh, the Jerusalem conference run by the Besheva magazine, which is part of Arut Sheva, which is called in English Israel National News. Uh, I emceed some stuff, and actually, people really liked my emceeing of the Aliyah panel. Really? I did a whole Aliyah panel. Why? Why did they like that so much? Uh, you know what? Let's let the, the listeners decide for themselves, because I'm going to be playing it in just a oh, few great. minutes here on the show. I have the whole panel in audio. Uh, it's actually on the Arutshever website, so that's going to be fun. Uh, but it was it was quite a day, because like I landed at 5 in the morning, p- went to pray to the Lord, ran to New York City, uh, uh, did the parade with a lot of energy, ran for, and social media and videos and, and 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 on the mic, and then ran from there to the conference, changed shirts quickly, like got dressed in a suit, uh, uh, ran to the uh, MC at the conference, and then went to a fancy dinner. It was just like Ooh. whoa, I was I was crash tired by the wow. end. Then the next day we headed out to uh, Sacramento. Yeah, we went to like horse country in Sacramento. Ooh. Gosh, 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 gosh. How gosh, are the horses it's... looking? You know, healthy and <laughs> uh, and strong and yeah. uh, in Californian, you know, Northern California, you know, it's a wow. thing. Northern California is a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing by itself. There's just there's there's a quality to Northern California which is famous, and there's a reason for that because it really is something. It's it's very very beautiful, and met very good people along the way, uh, and then uh, and met some new people. I met a Jewish person living on a like a thirty acre hilltop. Um, wow. with, with his own lake there and very beautiful oh, just, just that like, sounds rough just very beautiful and just beautiful air and and really uh, it actually reminded me of the Golan Heights it was it was wow. it, it, it's like the Golan Heights over there Le Havdil uh, Le Havdil but still you know good places in this earth I you know Malka I've learned to I don't struggle anymore uh, in the tension between US and Israel I don't it doesn't it doesn't ping me or pang me it, it like I just I'm okay with it I'm, I'm I've accepted the fact that there's there's this there's the Jewish world outside there's the lovers of Israel outside there's Israel that we have to build and and I have I have basically created intellectual paradigms for how to deal with these things I just say to myself my job is to connect everybody to the to the same program to building the homeland together to loving the homeland together to staying strongly Jewish and pro-Israel and pro-Torah for Jews and non-Jews you know, and I like it's the the mission is clear, so I no longer get you know all like uh, you know weirded out by the tensions between the diaspora and Israel, and why are these people doing well here where they should be in Israel? Like I don't, I'm not as upset about that. I like I don't worry about that stuff. I'm happy for people, 
and I just wish them blessings and then I just say to them things that they want to actually hear inside their soul, which is we have to be more connected. We have to help build the homeland together. You should buy an apartment in Israel. And all those things, people are like, yes, yes, yes. Let me talk to your kids and connect them to the story. Because, and that was a big part of what we did. We actually flew, myself and uh, uh, the director of the Hebron Fund, Dan Rosenstein, we flew uh, from, from San Francisco. I actually did a great event in San Francisco uh, for, for my friend uh, Maria and her cafe there to Russian Jews. Great. So Great. cool. Fabulous time there. Fabulous time. Why was it so fabulous? These guys just, they get it. You know, they've been through communism. They know the importance of the land. They know our fight with the jihad. They know what the international left is. They know how important it is to be armed. I didn't give them fake, you know, rose colored glasses. I told them what was good, what was good, what was bad, was bad. You know, I reminded them, I think I talked about this on this show, which is, you know, I reminded them that Israel's way bigger population wise jewish wise than before we have seven and seven point something million jews where 1967 was two and a half million our, our gdp is up but at the same time our country's shrunken physically and is under attack for, and from different quarters i just discuss these things very truly and openly and again you know giving people steps concrete steps to become more connected to the land uh then we went to cleveland i've never been to cleveland and uh, i've never been to ohio um and i was i i really i cleveland's a really nice like it's midwest and the stuff that they say about the midwest is that people are nice it's true yeah you can feel it people are nicer people things are a little bit slower people are good humored that's you know, nice good humored good they're that's not refreshing yeah i mean i find that people are generally nice but 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 the midwest has got the midwest quality it just does that's nice it's, it's just real it's it's not it took me like two hours and i'm like Oh, okay. I downshifted from like sixth gear to fourth gear and like, you know, just slow down and, 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 and sweetness. And, and the thing that I did there, which was very successful, which was I talked in the Mizrahi school, in the Fuchs Mizrahi school, to all kinds of grades. And uh, Dan Rosenstein said to me, like, this is very important for us to do this because we have to signal to people we're not here just for fundraising. We're here with a program. Right. We're here to teach. We're here to give your kids something. Right. We have a thing that we're giving you. We're giving you Hebron. We're connecting you to the forefathers and mothers. We're here to teach you about the homeland. We're here to, to get your kids to love the homeland. We're here to n- not allow them to be reprogrammed by others. We have, we're giving you. We're here to give. Yes, we also need support, but like we're here... We're here to give. We have a program to share. Right. And that was a lot of fun. We had a great Shabbat, met, met fabulous people. And Cleveland's just a really, really nice place with a lot of good people. And then uh, from there, uh, went back to, uh, we were there for, for quite some time. And then uh, from there, went back to New York City and, and to Brooklyn, which is, you know, still the, 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 Jew, the, heart, the beating heart of the Jewish world. Although some people have left to Florida. A lot of people have left to Lakewood and all kinds of stuff. Still. Still, Brooklyn is the most Jewish place in outside of the land of Israel. Still, and you can feel it. It's 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 the Alta Haim. I mean, I took a picture in front of myself with a with a open uh, fire hydrant. Yeah, and behind it is, is a restaurant called Chap Anash. Chap Anash. Chap Anash. Okay, for 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 a lot of people listening to They're this, like what? What language did you just speak? But Chap Anash means grab a bite, grab a food. And that's just Yiddish. And it's just like, you know, it's like, you know, Chapanash, I, I ate at the Essen Deli. Wow. Which means like eatery deli. 
and uh, you know, and 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 I, you know what? And 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 so funny. I was in the synagogue which I play pray in there, uh, which is the the young Israel of uh, of Midwood. And I saw out of the corner of my eye a book that said Eretz Yisrael. Yeah. And I looked into it, and I and I saw this was a deeply written book by one of the rabbis from the from Cleveland. Oh wow! From the Hebrew Academy in Cleveland, wow. part of the Tel Tel uh, Yeshiva. Uh, and by the way, in Cleveland, I have a lot of friends, including my good friend Shia Stern, who helped me understand everything. A friend of mine from college, fabulous. So then uh, I and then I went to the bookstore. The Judaica place. Yeah. And I bought these two volume, very thick books on Eretz Israel, written by a very diaspora rabbi, a diaspora like Jew, mm-hmm. but about the Torah of Eretz Israel. Wow, that's so cool. Like the Haredi outlook of Eretz Israel. And, uh, and that, was, that was very powerful. Uh, I didn't get a lot of chance to talk with too many uh, non Jews on this trip, uh, although I think that there are a lot of pro Israel non Jews in Ohio as well. Oh, yeah? And uh, I did talk with my friend Levy about our movement towards the Abraham house and the Abrahamic faith. And uh, Levy, uh, my good friend who has, uh, you know, comes from the Christian world, and he told me... Uh, what does that mean? Uh, he's got a, a deep story about, his, about, about his, his life. And when I, you know, I'd love to get him on the radio to talk about it one day. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm not going to tell the story for him. But uh, in the meantime, one of the things he said to me, he said that the Abraham house... House of Prayer should meet on Sundays and not on Shabbat. And I was like, really? I thought like we'll, we're, you know, you know, the the this this Abraham, you know, movement that we're talking about should be based on Judaism. He said, he said to me that it has to, it has to have Jewish leaders, and the Jewish leaders need to be on the Sabbath to do their Sabbath, and on Sunday to give an alternative, uh, a replacement. Yeah. <laughs> Maka, don't tell me you're having a replacement theology here. That 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 would be, <laughs> that would be what do you call it? That would be some historical um, rectification. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> replacement theology. That's funny. Sorry, everybody. I'm not hurting anybody's feelings. I respect everybody's religion as it is, but at the same time, we are trying to bring a more Torah consciousness into the world, and that's all right. Um, and you know what? At the end, it's really not to replace. It's really to bring people some meaning. And 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 today I was on tour with, with with uh, Christian Mormon folks. Uh, maybe that's a contradiction. Let's just say the word Mormon. Is that folks. no? It's not. They, 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 some will say. It's I don't. Not a contradiction. I, I don't. I'm not getting into Christian politics. It's Isn't not, it a Christian sect? It's, a, it's an, yeah, Mormons. But yeah, but they'll tell you that they have a different books and they're what, what, all right. I, anyway, I, I all right, all right, all right. Anyway, not, move forward. Move it's not forward. my department. New it's Mormons, not my department. Okay. I don't. I don't need to get into inter inter. You know these wars. They're not. They're not mine to fight. And and frankly, I don't. I don't have a side in it. Um, but they told me that 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 young folks in the United States, there's a counterculture. Okay. A counterculture to the counterculture. There's a counterculture that's moving back towards conservatism uh, or a searching. A, and this is this is totally true. There's a yearning for meaning, right? And and that's where 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 the, that's exactly again. Right, where I think that's, that's a lot of people. Yeah, that's exactly where that uh, where that gap is right now. There's a yearning for meaning, and I think that Israel has meaning for people. I really think Israel's got meaning for people. Uh, Malka, let's. Um, Talk about Jewish people. Well, yeah, I just want to say that that Israel doesn't have meaning for everybody. Uh, Or if it does have meaning for people, it's not always like good meaning for them. Uh, There's two stories here that we can discuss. Isha, you you let me know what you think uh, 
about these stories. Story number one is actually about something that you have personal uh, personal relationship to. And story number two is something that I have a personal relationship to. Okay. Story number one is that after over five years or approximately five years since the United States left this body. A political body called? UNESCO. Right. Which is an organization dedicated to heritage sites, to identifying, upkeeping, and recognizing international world heritage sites. Right. So now... Which the United States left summarily under the Trump administration right. because of their anti-Jewish stances, calling the tomb of Rachel a Muslim site, calling the Jerusalem, the Western Wall, a Muslim a Palestinian site. Right, and calling site, the Temple Mount a Muslim holy site. And calling the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs a Palestinian world heritage, world heritage site. site. So very powerfully agendized uh, organization, very strongly, very obviously agendized organization. And the Trump administration and... and um, and uh, then U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, was very involved. Um, they left the, the UNESCO, and Israel also left UNESCO, and it was a huge moment for the state of Israel and a real moment in which Israel felt the tremendous weight of the backing of the United States. That, that big stone wall of support behind us has completely broken down. And uh, the United States is rejoining UNESCO. UNESCO, very excited about it, putting out all kinds of statements about what a, uh, you know, what a showing of um, faith it is in their organization and how proud they are. And here, look, UNESCO is such a trustworthy organization and the whole world supports us and and so, um, so, you know, some people say there may have been reforms inside. I haven't seen anything really uh, significant there. And so that's, that's thing number one. Now, you, Ishai, you were very involved um, in the fight to get UNESCO uh, to, to, ha- to, to create a rift between UNESCO and the United States. No, no, that's not the right way to say it. The, we, 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 we were fighting against the decision. They had a decision that they were making. We we didn't call for America to leave UNESCO. We just said this isn't this isn't. Yeah, evil I think you didn't even dream that the United no, States would leave. No, we, we 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 were fighting against a decision, which is that they met in Krakow, not far away from Auschwitz, and did a program program on Jewish history and decided that the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs is a Palestinian World Heritage site. We went to fight that, and we got global jewelry uh, to 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 be to be with us, and the Trump administration heard about this. And they pulled out of UNESCO because of their their recurring anti-Semitic positions, uh, and that was an amazing moment for in in terms of narrative victory. <clears throat> and uh, I called, by the way, UNESCO. I called them. Uh, I said national. I said uh, national identity theft. That's what I called it. Right. National identity theft. There's an article in J Post called "National Identity Theft at UNESCO." Uh, and um, I am. Um, you know, the fact that the, that the Biden administration wants to go back to UNESCO, it's because they share that way of thinking. That's basically it. They, they want to erase. Right. They're on board with everything that UNESCO stands for. Right. Which is the erasure. When UNESCO talks about how the U.S. is behind them. They mean it. They mean it. That's yes, right. that is go. true. Uh, that might not be true for the people of the United States, but it certainly is true for the administration. By the way, Isha, did you hear about this scandalous? This is, really wasn't something we were going to talk about, but they did like a Pride Month event 
at the White House. Did you hear anything about this? No. I don't know if I can even really talk about it because this is a family show. But let's just say there was a person who used to be a man who now has bodily similarities to a woman and they displayed those bodily similarities in a tweet that they put out on the White House lawn. (laughs) And everyone's just like, what on the planet is going on? At the White House, so oh that's a, that's a whole breakdown. But okay, that's uh, that's that's not what we were planning on discussing. All right, you know what? You know what? Let me let me ask Maka for your permission uh, to first thing uh, mention that uh, news is very important. So you got to get your news from the right places. Right. So check out jns.org, jns.org, and jewishpress.com. And I want to say, by the way, that those two websites are also very good for if you have kids that are like my son, Elazar, who desperately wants to read the news and know what's up, we've actually figured out that the best way to do it is to give him the right website to See, go to. I, I just, as, a, as, a, as an explanation, I am very concerned to expose my children to news websites because they're filled with all kinds of really dark and sometimes unsavory and sometimes totally inappropriate, gossipy, smarmy stuff. And I feel like I can't let my children see that. That's right. So JNS.org and JewishPress.com are two excellent websites that you could trust your kids to Right, much more integrity. I mean, everything always should be with parental supervision. For sure, for sure. Also, Maka, I want to say that uh, last week I did my show live from an airport. That's very uh, dedicated of you. It is. It is. I'm very dedicated. I've been committed. I should be committed. Should be committed. Yeah. And so, uh, but one thing I forgot was to mention one of our sponsors last week, which is my good friends at Retro Watch Guy. Uh, RetroWatchGuy.com, and I actually. When are they getting on their plane? They themselves are making Aliyah soon, so RetroWatchGuy is going to be from Israel, man, and man, not from man. Colorado. But RetroWatchGuy brings you great watches, beautiful watches, and uh, from the from the sixties, seventies, uh, and other times. But like really neat, cool classic stuff from rock. the past. That's right. Like they're like they're like classic rock watches. That's right. Uh, and uh, they themselves are making Aliyah, and I can't wait to hear their story when they come here. In the meantime, I do want you to hear some of the fabulous stories of new Olim, new immigrants to the land of Israel that I was able to talk with in New York City Wow! at the Jerusalem conference run by Besheva. Uh, here is my emceeing and the questions, including a very prominent doctor who also became the maker of organic peanut butter here Ooh. in the land of Israel. So here's my panel about Aliyah at the Jerusalem conference. Shalom, everybody. And uh, we just did uh, judicial reform and then Iran, some very serious and heavy issues. And now it's time to talk about something maybe a little bit lighter, uh, but at the same time, no less impactful for the Jewish future. And that's Aliyah and the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. And when we talk about American Jewish Aliyah, or not just American Jewish Aliyah, but certainly in this panel has a lot of American Jewish Aliyah, but also not. when these people come from their respective places, they change the face uh, of Israel. We have a lot of, you know, great young, how should I say, Aliyah stars, people who have uh, taken their life and chosen to make Israel uh, their home, but that's not enough. Not only have they come home and enjoyed the safety and the economic success of Israel, but also contributed to it. Uh, So we're going to start all the way from the extreme uh, 
side of the panel. We'll talk with Mari Beza, okay? Mari is, when I said before, American Jewish Aliyah. Uh, she's not from the American Jewish Aliyah. She's from the Ethiopian Aliyah. Uh, today, though, she is part of the American uh, scene in the sense that she is uh, the Jewish agency's representative at the University of Pennsylvania. Mari, tell us a little bit about a story about how your family made Aliyah, and maybe we'll compare that a little bit to the challenges of American Jewish Aliyah. Tell me about it. Um, thank you so much, everybody. I'm really truly happy to be here. And every time that I came to the conference or to speak about the Ethiopian Jews, it's always remind me the story of my grandma, my grandfather. Um, she's 89 years old and she's in Israel. Um, she's my only grandmother, grandmother, and. Her stories always remind me of like, Zionism and returning back to the land of Israel. Um, so when she came in 1991, Operation of Solomon, she get off the plane and she's straight away going and kissing the land of Israel. Right away. That's the, only, that's the first thing that she did when she get off the plane. And then she will pray the prayer of her own centuries and her, her parents teach her when she was in Ethiopia that one day she will return to Israel and especially Jerusalem. Um, you know, he called this Jerusalem conference and it's something... The, the word Jerusalem for Ethiopian Jews is very powerful. Just the word Jerusalem. Yes, yes. You know, we... Jerusalem for us is um, a place when the temple was there um, so when she prayed the, the prayers, and she, it's just the way that she holds her hands in the skies and being able to return back to her ancestries and to the promised land, it's something that inspired me to do my job here as the Israel Fellow of the Jewish Agency. And that's, that's a story that always reminds me, and she's still alive, and she's in Israel, and every time that I need to get inspired um, and love in Israel and love in Jerusalem, I always go to her house and listen to her stories. That's so, it's, so it's Zionism, not cynicism, I call it. Zionism, yes. Not cynicism. Tzionut, lo tzionut, that's what we call exactly. it. Exactly. Very yes. good. Yeah. Um, Michal, uh, you made Aliyah 12 years ago. You were a lone soldier. Uh, today you do art therapy all over the world and in Israel, including with kids from Rwanda. But what stuck out for me is that you were a shooting instructor. I recall the shooting instructor girls, uh, which I loved, every single one of them, and they were the ones, I was in the paratroopers, and they would stand on our back with one foot and, and, and teach us how to shoot an M16. It was like the greatest experience to see these like, young Israeli girls teach us guys how to shoot properly. Tell, me, tell us a little bit about your Aliyah and that part of it. Sure. So I made Aliyah from New York, and I was really, really excited. I grew up in very Zionist beliefs. Um, my dad is Israeli. My mom is American. And I started my university here in the States and art, and I came to Israel as a lone soldier through Nefesh Benefesh and Green Sabar. And, yeah. <laughs> and as soon as I came to the Army as a lone soldier, I was like, well, I'm going to be an army painter. And they're like, that's nice, that's not a thing. So I became a shooting instructor, and I'm very, very grateful for my service. I think I learned incredible things, I made incredible connections, but one of the main... What, what, what shooting did you teach? 
Oh, I taught on semi-automatic and automatic guns, and I taught um, both infantry troops and other troops that came to Israel as well. And I think it was one of the most um, incredible experiences to connect with so many people in so many bases. And what was really, really, really important for me is to see how many people from so many backgrounds come into the IDF. And I wasn't the only American there, and I wasn't the only one struggling, and we did it together, and I think that's really, really powerful. Um, that's also one of the reasons I became an art therapist, because I believe that... How do you go from shooting to art therapy? Do you see that there's a bit of a disconnect there, seemingly? Absolutely. I can see how a lot of people can think that there's a disconnect. I personally see a great connection in it, because I saw a lot of the people that struggled with mental health in the Army really need a way to connect to themselves, and so now I personally work with um, men and women from services both in Israel and here in states, in the Marines, um, through art therapy to get connected to their emotions, people that have gone through trauma and suffered from PTSD. Okay, very good. All right. So that's, that's, so, so you, you've basically helped people be strong in shooting and strong through art and overcome their problems. Shalom, when I was pre-interviewing you for this uh, panel, uh, you told me that you live by the Bible. You told me that uh, you were raised in Brooklyn, you made Aliyah from Muncie, and then you told me that before you made Aliyah, you had a vision and a plan that involved you flying to Italy to buy vending machines. Can you please explain that to me? What does a vending machine and a plan have to so, do with Italy and Israel? Uh, I, I struggle with the whole vending machine thing. People like type our company in vending machines, I'll get back to that. But uh, in 2015, I was in the solar business in New York, New Jersey, and uh, we went for a family trip. I have five children, wife and five children. We went for a family trip to Israel, and it was just amazing, two weeks. And um, I, I realized I had, to, I had to live there. I didn't want to leave. Uh, I had to leave, I had a business, but over the next year and a half, I reorganized my life to start a new business, new, you know. I was already looking at smart vending, uh, the smart vending industry, I was sort of the tail end of the solar for my, you know, career and um, decided to move to Israel to pursue that. It was, and, and that's really the point, you know, you got to go with a plan. And when I got there, it was very, um, I was very uh, determined and pretty much right away I, I had meetings within the first couple of days of being there. Within two months, I was already on a plane with my wife to Italy to make a, supply, uh, a deal with a supplier for equipment, what you're calling vending machines. It's equipment of a larger system, but uh, my father, who's in the audience here and who's helped me for the past six years since I moved there, you know, my American agent, let's say, he flew to Israel to watch my kids while we and my wife took a plane. I remember they didn't even want to uh, put our beds together. There was, you know, it's a little balagan moving to a penthouse. We had a big container from New York, you know, I had a big house that we filled up, and uh, they finished uh, unloading after midnight. We had a plane at 6 in the morning, and they didn't want to build the beds, and we were leaving. So it was crazy, but that's what it's been for the past six years. Um, very quickly, I had customers. We've built, uh, it's, you know, automation for, for theft and solving other problems for retailers. And we now have some of the biggest retailers in Israel, our customers, Asherad, Shufersal, and it's just been a wild ride. Amazing, amazing. 
So you're bringing that can-do attitude with a plan, yeah. but still you, you say that on the one hand there's a plan, on the other hand it's crazy, right? It doesn't well, always flow uh, <laughs> by plan. Uh, it's a crazy Jason, plan. Yeah, <laughs> it's God's plan. Yeah. Dr. Jason Cohen, on the one hand, serves as a chief medical officer for Stella Israel. Uh, he has uh, treatments that help PTSD victims, not through uh, psychology, but through actual physiological blockers. Uh, of the, of the um, reactions to PTSD. Um, and so he's working at a startup. But then he also has another hobby, which he loves peanut butter. And he went out uh, and searched and sourced the best peanuts in the world. They happen to be made in Israel. And now he's making something called holy butter, which is both peanut butter and actually almond butter as well. The best in the world. Totally made in the land of Israel. No preservatives, no additives. Uh, the folks at Trader Joe's are jealous. Uh, tell me about how you fuse this kind of uh, life where you both uh, help folks with PTSD and, and block their reactions at the same time create peanut butter for joy. What's that about? Sure. Thank you, first of all, for the introduction. Uh, listening to the introduction, I have to admit, it does sound kind of nutty. But um, uh, in 2011, my wife and my four kids, we made Aliyah under the auspices and great assistance of Nefesh Benefesh. Um, and we have here in the audience, we have Rabbi Yeshua Fass from Nefesh Benefesh, and we have Afir Sofer, who's the yeah. Minister of Aliyah Absorption, and many people uh, in involved in Aliyah. So we really have the, the superstars of, of helping Jews make Aliyah right in the front row here. Go ahead. So by training, I'm an anesthesiologist and interventional pain management physician. Uh, they were very much instrumental in assisting the conversion of my licensure over to Israel. I completed uh, work in uh, Sharit Tzedek, and then the following years, six, seven years, I was commuting approximately twice a month to the U.S. for both clinical work and consulting. When a small inconvenient so, virus... So you were, you, were, you, were, you were commuting to the U.S.? That's correct. Living in Israel, commuting, yeah. Correct. I'm a big fan of the commuters. I think that they're heroes, really. While also starting my clinic for pain management here in Israel. Right. When a small inconvenient virus came in, called Corona, all travel ceased, and I suddenly had a lot of time on my hands. I began to take part in some interests that I never really had time for. And wondering about certain things, we ran out of peanut butter in the house. And my wife said, Jason, I don't care about your work. We have no peanut butter. So I started to think, and you know, Israel is a world leader in agri-tech, world leader in fruits and vegetables. And I said, what's going on in the nut industry? So after meeting with the world importers of Israel, I realized much was coming out of China. And then I was, through research, I was able to identify the Israeli groundnut board for peanuts and similar for almonds. I made connections, was visiting the fields and the farmers, and I discovered that Israel is the number one leader of peanut production in the world in terms of quality. So, so Israel has the best peanuts. Did you know that? Did you know that Israel has got the best peanuts in the world? I did not know that. Okay. Yes. So that is really what launched my interest in keeping and utilizing the world's best peanuts grown right here in Israel. We're the only company now in Israel from start to finish that manufactures pure nut butter. All right. Do, do Ethiopians like peanut butter at all? Uh, 
Um, we get introduced to this when we went to Israel, <laughs> yeah. and I, my favorite, peanut and jelly. That's something that I will yeah. definitely yeah. have. Uh, all right, but this is a different kind of peanut butter. All right, so listen, we have, uh, we have about two and a half minutes left, and I wanted to ask all of you, you guys are all obviously leaders in your, in your world, in your field. You're bringing your, your, your success to Israel. You're bringing your inspiration out. Uh, let's talk for a second. Give me the highs and the lows. That's what I want to ask you. Give me the high and the low. What is the successful thing? What is your, your positive advice? And what is the stay away from, here's the rock bottom, here's, the, here's where I fall in Israel? What do you think? Um, I feel like sometimes I hear from teenagers and young people, if Ethiopian Israelis, that complain about police brutality. You know, we are brothers and sisters. We are Jews. And, but just because of skin, of a color of our skin doesn't mean that we should uh, treat differently. And I, need, I think that the government and, and people in Israel are supposed to do so much for police brutality and, and see us as we're Jews, but we also have to be able not to identify as criminals just because of our color of our skin. That, that is a very low, low and a very powerful thing that you're saying. What about a high? The highest is I, I see the continues of, of Ethiopian Israel, Ethiopians coming to Israel and there's more operations and connecting families and, and brothers. And, I'm sorry, and, and, and are you able to inspire people with your Ethiopian Jewish Aliyah message in America? Absolutely. My students is um, such an inspired by my story and they say Ethiopian Jews his story is something inspiring and they connected more to Israel and being able to there is Israelis who are um, Ethiopians and they feel more connected to Israel and Judaism too. Absolutely. Okay, Michal, quickly, highs and lows. Sure. So I think my high would be that coming from New York, I always looked at New York as sort of the land of possibility. Um, but coming to Israel and opening up my own business and being able to touch people through my um, studio, my art studio, Tel Aviv Art Studio, I think it's one of the most incredible things I could possibly do. I think that people are really, really there to sense community and help lift you. And I think um, just definitely Israel, um, people really want to be there for you. And I think that's incredible in terms of Aliyah. And although I think is, although there's a lot of political divide, I think that ultimately, I, and from what I understand in Israel, there's a message that people want to come together and help each other. That what? People want to come together and help each other. So that's not exactly a low. I like that. Okay, it's a, good. It's a, it's your, a nice your low, low is a high. Okay. So they, they want to help each other. Good. That's true. That's true. Okay. So first Shall I want to agree strongly with Michal. I find that uh, uh, very many people in Israel want to help. And uh, when they see someone that has a dream and a, and a plan, they want to get behind it because that's the land of dreams. And a lot of people have done it already. So nobody's mocking it. Nobody's saying, oh, dreams. It's so strongly agree with that. The high for me, I'm just so happy to be there. I drive a convertible Mini Cooper with the top down because I just, the air, I just want to breathe the air. And, uh, it, and it's, it's where I feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose. I'm fully aligned. I'm a happy man there. I'm not happy anywhere else. In terms of the, the, uh, the low, uh, for me, it's all about a state of mind and attitude. And obviously, the setbacks, you know, to, to make Aliyah takes a lot of determination. It's an achievement. And there are setbacks. We could talk all day, but uh, you can't dwell on it, because if you dwell on it, you're not going to accomplish. Gotcha. Okay, very good. Don't dwell on the negative. Dr. Cohen. 
Likewise, I would say there really are no lows living in Israel. There are bumps and hurdles that we all experience on a day-to-day basis. If I had to choose one, I would say the imported commercial peanut butter. Stay away from it. Uh, the high, of course, as a physician entering into the world of you know, food, agriculture, uh, I would say just the tremendous support and respect. All right, folks, there you have it. People who have chosen to make their life in the land of Israel, obviously people who have been, would have been successful in other places. And I think that this is after the, the other two panels that we heard about the you know, rupture of Israeli society and the nuclear danger, you see that the hope is still there, the tikva is still there. Thank you very much. May we continue to make Aliyah. And we're back. Nice. Okay, Maka, that was fun, right? Those are, yeah, those really are, cool. Those are some, some good Yehudim, some good yeah, Jews. Yeah, beautiful. That's right, some good Jews out there, Malka. Those good folks that are making, that are coming home to the land. You know what they need when they come home to the land? They need to eat some Yiddish food, some Mamash Essen, okay? <laughs> they need to eat some food. And the great food that you can find <clears throat> that is that is Hamasha and, and Heilige, okay? Wow. <laughs> you spent a couple too many days in All Brooklyn. I need is a salami sandwich at a deli in, in Brooklyn, and I'm back, baby. Oh I'm back in the ghetto. Anyway, so... Uh, so uh, but I'm, but I'm, but but actually, my tour in Hebron today started bringing back the Judean in me. That's nice. You know, I, I I like I'm telling you, I walk around the streets of Brooklyn. I start to like become you know become that. But back today in the streets of Hebron, I I return to my Judean essence. Uh, speaking of Judean essence, uh, that is prohibitionpickle.co.il. You yes. can you can that's right. And and there should be a there should be some kind of food. I'm telling Chaim right now called Judean essence. Okay? I don't know. That feels weird. It does. It feels, it feels weird. like skunk spray or something. Judean essence sounds wrong. Or maybe to me. something for Havdalah. Maybe that should be Havdalah, like a Havdalah. Judean essence. You don't think? I think. I think the smell of Eretz Israel for Havdalah. We can create some kind of smell of the land of Israel and get it out to the marketplace like so it. Jews can have a little interesting, smell. Interesting, interesting, Avira de Eretz Israel machkima. The the the, right. the air of Eretz Israel makes you wise. It's a great way to start the week. They should have little bottles of Israeli air. Yeah, but that no, you can but it's open gotta, and snort. I told you, I told you that that I've seen, I have seen with my eyes, Hasidic Jews pop open a jump or one of these Israeli soft drinks and take that that are exported from Israel, imported into the United States. They 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 open the cap and they go. They snort it. They snort it. They snort wow. the air of the land of Israel. That's you'll dedication. see that on primetime TV one day. That's <laughs> on, on Netflix. An epidemic. Yeah. <laughs> Prohibitionpickle.co.il will make that delicious Hamish Essen for you here in the land of Israel. Nice. Okay. Go ahead. Well, speaking of Hamish, speaking of the home, um, here in the land of Israel, uh, lots of ladies are having babies. Baruch Hashem. Um, and there's a whole association of women who um, help those ladies. It's called the Israel Midwives Association. You can't stop those. And they were on their way like nice Jewish midwives bopping down the street, getting ready to take part in something called the International Confederation of Midwives Congress. So they were getting on the airplane. It's exciting. We're finally out of the hospital. We're going on a trip. Girl trip. We're going to we're going to Bali, right? They're going to Bali, Indonesia. They get off the plane. Everything's so exciting. And then they find out that they're not participating. Why? Or they make a decision not to participate. What happened? Turns out that they were approached at the at the uh, thing, at the conference, and told, listen, our governor like really doesn't like Israel. So you guys can't fly your flag at our conference. Keep in mind that two members of the 
uh, Israeli Association, Gila Zarbiv, the head of the Israel Midwives Association Media Committee, and Yifat Hadar Rubanenko, chairman, chairwoman of the Association of the Israel Midwives Association, were both going to be speaking at the conference. And they were told, oh, sorry, they weren't, they weren't on their way. They were told a week before the conference, the director general and president of the International Confederation of Ema, Midwives sent them a little email and said, in order not to anger the governor of Bali, the Israeli flag would not be displayed and they would have to march under the Confederation flag. He said this, quote, there is sensitivity in Indonesia regarding the raising of the Israeli flag and the remembrance of the state of Israel, adding that they heard that should it be decided to include the Israeli flag and mention Israel in connection with the identity of the Israeli organization, there is a risk that the Congress will be closed and the Israeli delegation will be required to leave Indonesia. So they're just like, well, fine, no Israeli midwives for you. But it's uh, it's very disappointing. This was an international conference. Do you know what I feel bad about, Maka? What? I don't feel so bad about the, the, the fact that, you know, we're blocked yet again from an international thing. I feel bad and sad for the, for the mid- midwives around the world who wanted to hear from some of the greatest midwives in the world, which is the, the Jewish-Israeli midwives. I want, to, I want to say something that I've said now many times on the show, a little factoid from Israel that all of you should know. Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem has the most births per year at a hospital in the world every year. Every year it is the one hospital on the planet that has the most babies born at it. That's just unbelievable. And you want to hear that experience. Yeah, you don't you want to hear from those people? You and there's from women those... from around the world, all kinds of religions, all kinds of countries. The Iranian flag, by the way, by the way, was flown at the conference. Can I tell you something? You want to hear some? You want to get some blessings? You need some biblical. And midwives. that is a place. That is a place should that call, shoots women in the street. Should I, yes. call, should I call the show "Biblical Midwives"? Biblical midwives are back. Okay, the biblical midwives are 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 out there, and and the world didn't get a chance to hear. From the from the Judean biblical midwives, and that's that's a shame for them, and and shame on you, Indonesia, okay, and and uh, you you didn't you, you just you just missed a chance to get some shame on Indonesia and shame on this association for not protecting all yeah. the women in its uh, in its organization. Very sad. And Indonesia should never be allowed <clears throat> to host this event or really any international event again until it can give equality to all of its uh, I don't think anybody's going to block them it's a question of uh, other people should not participate in that. Uh Malka um I want to I want to uh shift gears for a second and tell you that uh well yeah I agree with you. It's sad that they missed that and it's it's too bad for them. We really have a light to offer. It's like it's like a light wants to come out and they just want to block it. Uh speaking Now what of, are we even talking about? Speaking of This lights, is a midwives conference. What are we talking about? Is this a political conference? Is this a, uh, I don't know, some like a land division conference? Is right. about the Arab-Israeli conflict? Is it about something political? This is a political con- right, something like that a crosses borders. topic. Yeah, this is a peacemaking opportunity for all kinds of people. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't deserve the light. They didn't, as, as my friend Jack says, they didn't have the sechut. They didn't right. have the sechut. They didn't have the merit. Uh, speaking of merits, Malka, uh, there have been Jews uh, that have, for many generations, believed that the 
the, only the Messianic time will allow the Jewish people to return to the land of Israel. And that uh, trying to force the return of, of the Jewish people to the land uh, in political and other means is the wrong thing, based especially upon something called the three oaths. Uh, our own Rabbi Shimshon Nadel has delved in Ooh, to the question of go. the three oaths. And this is, of course, in conjunction with the Torah portion of Shalach, the Torah portion of Shalach, which was read here in the land of Israel last week, but is in the diaspora, is read this week, this coming Shabbat. And so uh, I want the, the show has got definitely an element of Parshat Shalach, the Torah portion of Shalach, which is about the sin of the spies. We'll talk about that at the end. Uh, but here's Rabbi Shimshon Hakohen Nadel uh, from Jerusalem. Uh, talking to us about the three oaths uh, that the Talmud speaks of, the three oaths that are supposed to stop Jewish people from trying to enter the land of Israel uh, against seemingly the, the, the will of God and, and uh, until such a time. Uh, but how do those oaths get overcome? Do they get overcome? And do we move forward with uh, the process of redemption that we're in right now? So here's our, our own Rabbi Shimshon Nikon Nadel with the question of the three oaths. Shalom Yishai. This week, the Torah portion of Shalach is read in the diaspora. Shalach relates the story of the sin of the spies who spoke ill of the land of Israel, causing the children of Israel to fear and bringing about the punishment of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. But the spies themselves were the leaders of the Jewish people. The Torah describes them as all distinguished men, heads of the children of Israel, they were. And yet, they despised the desirable land. According to the Vilna Gon, who lived from 1720 to 1797, many great Jewish leaders commit the sin of the spies again today by rejecting the land of Israel. Rabbi Hillel Rivlin of Shklov, a close disciple of the Vilna Gon, records in his Kol Hator the teachings of his master, the Vilna Gon, concerning redemption, and writes, quote, Due to our abundant transgressions, many commit the great sin of and they despised the desirable land. Even many of those steeped in Torah don't know and don't understand that they perpetuate the sin of the spies. They have drifted into the husk of the sin of the spies with all sorts of false theories, vain justifications, and excuses. They even cover their theories over with the incorrect opinion that the mitzvah of settling the land of Israel does not apply nowadays, an opinion that has already been disproven by the great geniuses, Rishonim and Achronim, our great sages. In fact, in his Eim Habanim Smecha, Rabbi Yisachar Shlomo Techtel, writing during the Holocaust, attributes the tragedies that he witnessed in front of his very eyes to the sin of the spies. He holds the rabbis and religious leaders of his day accountable for encouraging their flock to stay in Europe instead of ascending to Israel. Historically, there were rabbis who challenged the permissibility of a modern aliyah and the validity in founding the state of Israel based on a concept in the Talmud known as the three oaths. This became the position adopted by the anti-Zionist movement. They argued that we have no right to settle the land of Israel until the arrival of the Messiah. The Satma Rebbe, in his work, Vayol Moshe, even suggested that the Holocaust was a punishment for resettling the land of Israel prematurely. But what exactly are these three oaths? Where do they come from? And are they indeed binding? Are they even Jewish law? 
the Talmud, at the end of Tractate Ketubot, based on three verses in the Song of Songs, which begin, I adjure you, O maidens of Jerusalem, teaches that God adjured the Jewish people and the nations of the world, forcing them to commit and swear and take upon themselves three oaths. The first, the Jewish people may not arise like a wall, which implies ascending en masse and taking control of the land of Israel by force. The second, the Jewish people may not rebel against the nations of the world in the diaspora during the long exile. And finally, the third oath, the nations of the world were obligated that they may not subjugate and cause the Jewish people to suffer too much. The concept of the three oaths as binding has been refuted many times and in many different ways. Most compelling is that the three oaths should be understood as agadah, homily. They should be understood merely conceptually. Historically, this passage was never accepted as halacha. It was never accepted as Jewish law and is in fact absent from all major codes of Jewish law. Some explain that by receiving permission from the leading world powers, there is no violation of the oaths. The Balfour Declaration of 1917, the San Remo Conference of 1920, and the United Nations Partition Plan of 1947 certainly demonstrated the world's acquiescence in restoring the Jewish state. The modern state of Israel was created by the consent of world leaders and world powers. We did not arise like a wall. Others explain that once the nations of the world violated their oath with the constant persecution of the Jewish people, the other oaths become null and void. And this notion is in fact based on a principle in Jewish law. Should two parties take an oath and one is found to be in violation of his oath, the other party is exempt from keeping his side of the bargain. Certainly the persecution, torment, and humiliation that the Jewish people have endured over the centuries of the long exile would free them from any obligation. Based on all this, along with other reasons, according to most authorities, the three oaths are not binding nor relevant today. Today, we have an incredible opportunity after 2,000 years of exile to return home and play our part in the Jewish history and destiny that is taking place on the stage of the modern state of Israel. Wishing all of the listeners blessings from Jerusalem. Okay, Malka, that was uh, our uh, very own Rabbi Shimshon Nadel from Jerusalem's Kehilat Zichron Yosef uh, on the three oaths. Thank you very much for teaching us, uh, our beloved rabbi. Uh, and uh, one more, we have another Cohen, and that's, of course, our beloved Ben Bresky. And he has a teaching to us about well, the story. Well, we got a lot of Kohanim on the show. You bet we do, because that's what we're about. We're wow. about a Mamlechet Kohanim v'goy Kadosh. You know, Malka, you're a priestess. That's it's right. true, but we're not Kohanim. That's right, but you're a Judean, you're a nation of, of priests, Malka. That's you're right. Part, you're part of that. You're part of that. You're, you're, you, you send the Can't light out to the world. It. That's right. Can't stop this. That's what I say. Uh, and that's- uh, Got the uh, fire? Yeah, making the pizza. Yes. That's it. There you go. Um, Malka. <laughs> Ben Bresky uh, has something that I'm looking forward to hearing about, which is the story of Martin Buber. The story of this um, 
That's right. Uh, the the very famous uh, Jewish, um, not not not. Uh, yes, Malka Martin Buber, not Martin Luther. Okay, Malka, uh, Martin Buber is uh, uh, an, an Austrian Jewish and Israeli philosopher known best for his philosophy of dialogue, a form of existentialism centered on the distinction between the I-Thou relationship and the I-It relationship. But why are we talking about him? Because Ben Bresky wants to tell us about about some of the issues that he faced, including how he fought with Gandhi on the issue of Zionism. What? That's right, Malka. Oh, you've just got to trust. All right, let's listen. Ben's got something to teach us, okay? So here we go. Here's Ben on the story of Martin Buber. This is a moment in Jewish history. Martin Buber was a famous philosopher known for his essay, I and Thou. Born in Austria, he fled Germany for the land of Israel in 1938 and lived in Jerusalem. I was in one of the homes Martin Buber once lived in last week when I attended a musical event hosted by a young Israeli named Adir Chai Haberman Browns in a historic home in the Jerusalem neighborhood of Givat Hanania, also known as Abu Tor. As I looked around at the old-style windows and the high ceilings, I wondered about the history of the home. Adir Chai told me that the iron girders in the ceiling were made out of railroad tracks from a company that attempted to build a railway through Jerusalem but then went bankrupt. The company sold the unused rail tracks for construction material for housing. On the patio outside, one can get a clear view of the old city of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. He also told me that none other than award-winning philosopher Martin Buber lived in this very home, according to a tour guide who led a tour group to the site. Indeed, according to a tour book published by Maslulim, Martin Buber lived in the Abu Tor neighborhood until 1948, when the War of Independence started. The book relates... British officers mingled with the local population of Abu Tor, and it became a large and diverse neighborhood. The local Arabs, both Christian and Muslim, were joined by well-to-do families who came from Hebron and Bethlehem, and among the Jewish residents, it was possible to find intellectuals. The most famous of them was the thinker Martin Buber and his family until 1948, With the outbreak of the War of Independence, shooting attacks began against Jewish travelers along Dera Hebron and aimed at the nearby Yamin Moshe neighborhood. Many of the residents chose to leave their homes and move to the western part of the city, and those that stayed lived in constant danger. As the Haganah, the precursor to the Israeli Defense Forces, arrived in the area, they found many abandoned homes, but in one, they found an elderly man with a long beard and a strange look. This was Martin Buber, who refused to leave his home, even after his family had already moved to the Talbia neighborhood. Buber was a member of the Brit Shalom movement, and he was confident none of the parties would harm him. As the story goes, when he refused to leave the house, the Haganah began removing his books, and only then did Buber follow. He then joined his family in Talbia, where he spent the rest of his days, passing in 1965 at the age of 87. Adir Chai told me that, after Buber left the house, it was inhabited by Israel Prize laureate Eliezer Schweid and his wife Sabina, an elderly couple whom he had met personally. 
They bought the house for only 400 lira in a mortgage. The couple did not have much money and slept in the living room and rented out the two bedrooms. No one wanted to live in the neighborhood due to the shooting attacks during the war. But for Sabina, who had recently escaped the Holocaust, it was good enough. They eventually moved out and bought the house next door. Eliezer was the author of numerous books on Jewish history and culture and a professor at Hebrew University. He passed away in 2022 at the age of 92. His wife Sabina still lives in the house next door to the one once inhabited by the Buber family. Buber was an iconoclast all his life. Born to a religious Jewish family, he dedicated his life to preserving and rewriting famous Hasidic stories, such as those of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Yet he did not go to synagogue or keep with the tradition of his upbringing. He was an ardent Zionist, joining the movement in 1898 and attending many of the Zionist congresses presided over by Theodore Herzl, whom he had a deep respect for, yet he disagreed and debated Herzl's ideas. He was a staunch supporter of the founding of the State of Israel, yet argued with its first Prime Minister, David Ben-Gurion. He argued with Mahatma Gandhi on Zionism. Before becoming a professor at Hebrew University in Jerusalem, he worked at the University of Frankfurt on Main, but that came to an end with the rise of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party. His famous I and Thou, published in 1923, won him worldwide acclaim, and he was nominated for the Nobel Prize in Literature ten times and the Nobel Peace Prize seven times, yet never won. And here I am, sitting in his home. And what of the Givat Hanania neighborhood? It is named for Hanania ben Nadvai, a high priest in the Second Temple era, and the father of Elazar ben Hanania, one of the leaders of the Great Rebellion, whose summer home, according to some researchers, stood at the top of the hill in the neighborhood. According to Josephus Flavius, Hanania is even buried on this hill. Its more common name is Abu Tor, which means father of the bull. In the 1880s, affluent Arab Christians and Arab Muslims moved there, seeking more spacious living conditions than inside the walls of the old city. In 1887, Yosef Navon, a Jerusalem businessman from a well-established Sephardic family of Jerusalem, created the Beit Yosef neighborhood in Abu Tor. Together with his partners Johannes Frudiger and Shalom Konstrom, the neighborhood was built as a commercial enterprise for the Jewish community, in contrast to many of the first neighborhoods outside the walls of the old city, which had a philanthropic purpose but it encountered difficulties from the very beginning, and some of the houses in the neighborhood were sold to Arab buyers. A year of drought, bureaucratic difficulties, and the neighborhood's remoteness did not help matters. Frudiger personally suffered considerable financial loss. His home, the Mahanaim House, also known as Frudiger House, can still be seen in Jerusalem today on Hanavi'im Street. During the riots of 1929, in which over 100 Jews throughout the land of Israel were killed, the Beit Yosef neighborhood was spared, but the increased tension and danger meant it was no longer safe and the Jewish community fled. Arab residents then settled in the former Beit Yosef. Yosef Navon went on to create the Jaffa Jerusalem Railway, for which he was awarded the Legion of Honor from the French government and an honor from the Turkish government. 
The Jerusalem station, now named the first station or Takana Rishona, is across the streets from the Abu Tor neighborhood, and now a center with restaurants and coffee shops. Together with Frutiger and Konstrom, Yosef Navon also founded several other neighborhoods in Jerusalem near today's Shuk Machane Yehuda. In 1948, the Nobel Prize-winning Israeli author S.Y. Agnon, who lived in the nearby Talpiot neighborhood, wrote a short story called Abu Tor, which he renamed Avi Hashor, or Father of the Ox. Translated from Hebrew, it begins with the words, There is a spot in Jerusalem which is known by the Arabic name Abu Tor, which means father of the ox, and the spot goes by this name on account of something that happened there once upon a time. In this fictional account, Agnon tells the tale of an old man with no family who lives alone with his beloved ox. He is named Abu Tor, father of the ox, and the ox ends up saving his life and becoming a hero of the neighborhood, which is named Abu Tor in his honor. Much more can be said about the history of this fascinating and picturesque neighborhood that once straddled the border between Israel and Jordan, but that's a story for another day. I think Martin Buber would be happy that his former home now attracts young Jews who sing in Hebrew and mix traditional with the modern. This has been a moment in Jewish history. My name is Ben Bresky. Thank you to Adir Chai Haberman Browns and tour guide Shmuel Browns. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to the listeners and Shalom. Okay, fabulous. There you go. Mind boobering. (laughs) That mind boobered me. (laughs) Speaking of mind boobering, Malka. Yeah. There's no more Biden boobering experience yeah. than going up to the Temple Mount. Yes. Because that will boober your brain. Yes. Yes, it will. And you will have an I thou. <laughs> you will I thou. Oh, will you I thou. Yes. That's as close as I thou as you could get. Yeah, okay? that's, that's true. That's like Yom Kippur on, on, on steroids, all right? Well, You're, hopefully one day. Uh, yes. If you want to do that, you go to highonthehard.com. They're going to take you up to the Temple Mount. And In you, holiness and appropriately. That's right. The way that you're supposed to do it. With halacha considerations minded, and you will have I thou. Okay? And then when you have when you have want to have I thou with the founders of the, the forefathers and mothers of our peoplehood and our nation, then you should go to Hebronfund.org, sign up to our tours. Rabbi Simcha Hachbaum. I just saw him giving a tour. He was uh, so did I. And he will I thou you, okay? With Shlomo Karlbach music. Wow. With stories. With heroism, uh, there's nothing like the Simcha Hachbaum tour. It's legendary. Yes, it's legendary. it is legendary. It is legendary. He's a legend. He is honestly a legend. Uh, and he, I mean, I mean, I don't. I'm not sure. I know. He is one of the people that I know that has touched the most amount of lives. Wow, that's big. That's that's big, and Hashem should give him strength. That's oh, HebronFund.org. Very proud to uh, connect you to the founding fathers and mothers of the Jewish people. Maka, let's finish up the show, but let's finish it strong. I want to tell you just a little bit about Kalev Ben Yifune, okay, Malka? Okay. And with this, with this we'll, we'll wrap it up. All right. You know, Malka, there's a verse in the Torah that tells us that Jacob sent Joseph to Shechem, so-called Shechem, so-called Nablus, Shechem, right? He sent I don't like him, it when you say Shechem. 
Can we not do that anymore? Sometimes, like when you say Bethel, it's like Bethel. But it you don't people. have to say Bethel. People are not stupid. I. It's not an issue of stupidity. It's an issue of some people are listening for the first time to the show today, and okay. they may not know. So chill, okay? Okay. So 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 as I was saying that that J- Jacob sent Joseph to Shechem. Yes. Okay. To find his brothers, and it says that he sent them from Emek Chevron from the depths of Hebron. And if you look there at Rashi, Rashi explains to you that what was really happening there was that Abraham, two generations before that, got the famous message and the prophecy at the covenant between the parts, the Brit Bein Abtarim. And the covenant said that your, your seed will be slaves in a land not theirs for 400 years. And the reason that Jacob sent Joseph through the depths of Hebron, it really meant the person who's buried that deep consideration of the one buried deep in Hebron, that's Abraham, to begin fulfilling that prophecy to Abraham that his seed will go into exile and be there for 400 years. The touching of the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs by Joseph is the beginning of the exile. Mm. It begins there. The count starts there. That's the clock. That's the exile. He goes to Shechem. Then, his, then he goes to his. He's shown where his brothers are, and then his brothers sell him down, and that begins the exile. Mm-hmm. He is the beginning of the exile. Go back to the Breed Ben of Tarim, the the covenant between the parts, and it says that God told Abraham, fourth generation will return to this land. And Rashi there says, who is that fourth generation? That fourth generation is Kalev ben Yifune. Fourth generation? The fourth generation will come back to the land, the ones after they leave. And, and he counts it. Who goes down to Egypt? And he counts Judah. Judah has Chetzron. No, ya- Yaakov already goes down to, to the, to the uh, Jacob goes down yes. to exile. Jacob has Judah. Judah has Chetzron. Chetzron has Kalev. Mm-hmm. And Kalev touches the wall of the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs. And he comes back. Because in this week's Torah portion in the diaspora, it says, Vayavo ad Chevron. He came to Hebron. He being Caleb. He finishes off the prophecy that, that, that your children, the fourth generation, will return to this land. So the, the leaving, the exile, was done by Joseph. He touches the Marat Machpelah and he says the, the exile begins now. Wow. And the one who returns and informs the forefathers and mothers that we're back is Kalev ben Yifune. And Rashi says, the fourth generation is Kalev ben Yifune. And he goes, he touches that, that wall and he says, we're back. Nice. However, sadly, the rest of the Jews uh, are confused. They get confused. They believe the bad report. They become fearful. They cry in their tents. And they, uh, and they reject the land of Israel, and therefore the punishment is everybody between 20 and 60, the men folk are going to die in the desert. And so Kalev ben Yifuneh and Joshua return with the other spies back to the camp. The spies give a bad report. They all die out. Ten other spies. Caleb, Kalev, and, Yif- and, and, jo- and Yoshua, they survive. And then they join the Jewish people in a, I'm very sad, it's hard for me to say this, but here's the truth, a type of death march, a type of long march to get rid of a generation, a dying off generation, and they die off in the desert because that Kalev Ben Yifune, when he says we're back, yes, 
he told that, that was the end of the prophecy, but sadly there was 40 more years that had to be done because a generation had to die out. But then Kalev and Yifunen, Yeshua ben Nun, lead the Jewish people back into the land, conquer Jericho, and and go up to Shechem and finish off the diaspora, the, the exile, by burying the bones of Joseph in Shechem. Nice. They, they carried him from Egypt to the edge of the land of Israel, then back into the desert for 40 years, and then back to the land, and he gets buried where his where the beginning of his journey to uh, exile began. It was his own grandson, Yoshua ben Nun, that buried, buried Joseph uh, in, uh, in Shechem. And so uh, the, the deep story of exile and return of, of, the, of the pain that Joseph had to go through, of course he had to go through pain, endure pain, because it was exile. And then the, the great merit and ecstasy the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, Kalev ben Yifuner letting the forefathers know, and with his courage, he also gave birth to something else, Malka. You know what he gave birth to? No. Kalev ben Yifuner married Miriam, and from them came the trajectory and the seed of King David. King David, and the Talmud says this as well, in part comes from the line of Kalev ben Yifuner and Miriam together. And so Kalev, who is the person? It's it's Hur? Yes, it's it, it's not exactly clear. It's not exactly clear. It's Hur, Hur at the end gives birth to Betzalel. Betzalel becomes uh, uh, but basically the kings come from 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 Betzalel. Really? Yes. Um. It, why why am I also remembering that I read that also the. No, the, no, no, yes, yeah. The kings come from, from the line of Betzalel. That's right. In any case, in any case, there's a lot of information there. But in any case, the bottom line is the Gemara says clearly that 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 the marriage between Kalev ben Yifune and Miriam leads to King David. And the bottom line is that courage, that courage to go back to Hebron and begin the rebuilding of the of the peoplehood in the land, that is the spirit that gives birth in the end to, to King David. Today I was in Hebron. I showed tourists around the tomb of the patriarchs, the matrix. Then we went to where King David has his castle. There's a difference between the birth of the peoplehood and the coalescing of the peoplehood into a nation under one king. That's King David. That's, that's the end goal of the vision of the forefathers and mothers. So there you go, Maka. That's uh, what this Torah portion is about. I want to I thank everybody. I want to thank Yochevit Seidman, Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, and Lou and we're live for making uh, the show happen and getting it out to the world. I want to especially thank you for making time, Malka. I know yes. your busy schedule. I love being schedule. on the show. And thank you for being... I made, and I'm all, I, I often meet listeners. Absolutely. All over the place. That's right. And you can keep writing and, us and emails. And you guys are very important to us. That's right. That's right. And in fact, Malka, I, I did get an email, a long email, and because I was on the road, uh, I didn't have time to, to fully spell it out. But uh, basically, uh, he writes, uh, my friend Mark in Arkansas... Wow. Arkansas, he says to me, uh, first thing he says, P.S., you're a graying fast, brother, because of my gray hair. But it just adds more credibility to <laughs> That's your work. That's right. You're very credible. Yet you act and sound like a very young man, a younger man. <laughs> Better to have gray hair than no hair at all. <laughs> yes, indeed. Good attitude. That's true, right. And he also says, he says, Mark from Arkansas says, I've provided a few coffees for Yishai in the past. I was recently um, uh, lost my job and I'm oh, retiring right. and moving to be close to my son and his family, closer that's to nice. my daughter and her family north of Dallas. Wow. That's, that's from your parts, Malka. 
uh, blessings uh, to the women of Texas. That's right. I would appreciate a prayer of support that Hashem would guide us in this new phase of life and that I could again send some coffees and blessings your way. Hashem is merciful and generous to all of us. Amen. Hashem should send you coffee, Mark. That's right. Blessings. Blessings. Yes. That's right. For good for good, good Hashem should, should buy you a coffee. That's right. Although I just want to say that yes. I have some Mormon listeners to the show and they're like against coffee. So what? Oh, because it's like a stimulant? Yeah, they're against that. So I just want to say if that is offensive to anybody, then we're talking about any spiritual right. stimulant that God will send you. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> it does not have to be caffeinated. It could be decaf. That's right. But but buy me a coffee is 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 virtual, really. So I don't think that it should be a problem for any Mormon listeners either because it's not actual coffee. Okay. And then, <laughs> oh, you also, you, you drink that date seed coffee. I do. That's right. I drink that totally... Uh, fake it's nev- made out of ground up date seeds that's right this is real and, not and it's, a joke supposedly it's the drink of the nabateans i hope i don't go the way of the nabateans in any case uh your blessing blessings to you mark who writes your eternal friend Aww, i'm your eternal friend that's nice that's right uh of arkansas well, best of luck in your Dallas. move moving is hard and scary but but it sounds like you're going to be with family that's very very beautiful let's give each other support friends let's give each other support let's let's face jerusalem let's give each other blessings uh let's learn that that the Torah and, and spread it out. Let's give each other a, a love and a chizuk right now. And that's also part of the Torah portion of Shlach, which is some people made each other cry and afraid. Right. We got to do the opposite of that. We got to give each other strength. Right. We got to give each other strength out there. We got to give each other like, like a chazak chazak v'nit chazak, a yasher koach, we say. You know, pour somebody some wine from, from, from Hebron. Or a and, non-stimulant. And, that, and, that, and this is how I want to nice, finish the a show. A nice water. This is how I want to finish the show, Malka. I was in Cleveland. I went to a store called The Grove, which okay. is an awesome kosher uh, uh, like grocery chain, store? grocery store. Great stuff. And in The Grove, I saw tons of Hebron wines. Wow. Including the Machpelah wine, including the Isaac's Ram wine, including the Hebron Heights Reserve wine, all these awesome wines. They should, they should be sponsors of my show. But I want to <laughs> say this. I want you to get to today... To the store. If you have a kosher store around you, I know there's one in Dallas and there's certainly one in LA. There's more than one in Dallas. I'm talking about the ones that sell the good wines and I know ones in, in I, I know a good one in Los Angeles. I know a good one in Aventura, Sarah's Tent. I know I know them all over the country. But wherever you want, I want you to go. And if you can't find it, go to kosherwines.com. Get yourself, and if you don't drink wine, then don't worry about it. Find something else. But the point is, get yourself a wine from the land of Israel, especially from Hebron. Because this week's Torah portion in, in the diaspora outside of the land of Israel is about Kalev ben Yifune going up to Hebron. And I want you to say Lechaim. And I want you to say Lechaim to yourself for being a Hebron lover of Israel, a Hebron right. Jew, or Hebron supporter. That you're connected. That's, you that's are, very big. We are the Caleb and the Joshua of our generations. Of our generation. We are not the spies that rejected it. We're not those. We're on the other side. Okay, We're on the side of feeling strong, and, be, and Caleb, Caleb went into the land of Israel when he was 85 on the second time around and led the Jewish people He's to like, battle. He's like, feeling good. That's what he says. He says, I'm as strong then as I'm strong now as I'm strong then. It's in the book of Joshua, I think chapter 14. So Clearly a southerner. There you go. <laughs> so we, let's raise our glasses and l'chaim to Jewish strength, the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, to God revealing himself to the love of Torah, uh, to the world connecting uh, to the light that's coming from Yerushalayim, from Jerusalem. God bless you folks wherever you are. Lots of love, lots of strength, lots of good feelings, lots of mutual support. Uh, And may the radiance of Hashem, His Torah, and the land of Israel shine upon you. Thank you so much. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom.